Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. Uh, I am James Tiller and I'm your host for the show today. Alongside me from the Everything F1 team, we have old hand Sean. Hiya, Sean. How are you? Good to be back. Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a few weeks since you've been on, hasn't it? Has been, yes. I've been gallivanting. You gumball. Was that was that something you've done? Yes, it was. The gumball rather, yeah. And from Toronto to Miami. Wow. Was it good? It was very good fun. Yes. It was very hot. Very hot. Seen lots of great cars. Yes. Nothing but fast cars. Except no Formula One cars this year. That's a shame. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, but lots of fast cars. Some of them sounded like small F1 cars, which was uh, which was nice. Felt like going back in time. Brilliant. Yeah, I'd love to go to that. That sounds like a very enjoyable uh, time to, to spend away from the home. Um, it is. <laughs> and another person alongside us today from the F1 team is a brand spanking newbie, Chloe. Hiya, Chloe. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Good. Brand spanking newbie. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so I've actually just finished university. Um, okay. I studied politics Ooh. and I'm hoping to work in media and communications. Well, you are working in uh, media communications, yeah. just at a, a little bit of a lower level than you are probably aiming. But that's not a problem. We will be big and then you can stay with us. That's what a great <laughs> idea that is. Uh, also today, we've got a lovely guest with us as well. Uh, well, well let's, let, let's let him introduce himself. Richard Morris. Hi, Richard. How are you? Hey, yeah, good to be here. I'm uh, having a busy month, <laughs> but uh, yeah, happy to, to be on the show. Um, yeah, so I'm Richard Morris. I'm a British racing driver. I race prototypes across Europe for a manufacturer called Revolution Race Cars at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm the co-founder of Racing Pride, which is the movement all about promoting LGBTQ plus inclusion through motorsports and partnered with Aston Martin and Alpine Formula One teams. Yeah, that's that's a great partnership that we've seen this year. Um, and hopefully other teams will join suit, uh, you know, as, as it grows as a movement. Um, but we will talk about that in a little, a little bit. Um, obviously, we've got plenty of time to talk to you about, obviously, your driving career and, of course, uh, the, found, the founding of uh, Racing Pride. Um, but first, we are Everything F1, and you can find us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, we're also on TikTok, and you can find us also on our shiny website, www.everythingf1.com. We would also love it if you were to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast streaming service uh, so you get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. Okay, let's talk about the race the week this weekend or last weekend, sorry, uh, in Baku. Let's go to Richard first because he's our guest. 
What did you think of Baku? Uh, I think there's always some drama in Baku, isn't there? I mean, watching all the categories, I was watching particularly the F2 and and uh, as well as the F1. There's always something that spices it up. Even if you think, oh, this is a boring race, someone's running away with it. There's always that potential that you're going to have a safety car, a virtual safety car, some sort of incident because... You know, if something does go around uh, on around there. You know, very often there's no way of clearing the car out of the way otherwise. So mm. that always spices things up. It's uh, an exciting circuit, and I mean, the top speeds around there are mind blowing for some of the cars, especially the Alpines. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, it, absolutely. Uh, it, it, I actually really like Baku. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of street circuits, but Baku always gets me excited because there's always something that goes on. Um, there's always a bit of action, someone going off, uh, you know, tyres maybe giving up. Obviously, we didn't get that this year, fortunately. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was a great race, good uh, good one for the uh, for the books. Uh, Chloe, what were your thoughts on the race this weekend in Baku? Um, honestly, I just feel for Charles Leclerc. I just, right. I'm gutted for him. It just seems to be one thing after another, so I really do feel for him. But um, I do like the street circuits. I find it quite exciting to watch. So I mm. thought it was a good race. All right. Sean, anything to add about your enjoyment of the weekend? Uh, I'm going to take the alternative on this one. Uh, I kind of fell asleep a little bit through it. I did not think that was a classic Baku race, which is a real shame because I adore Baku. I think it's a brilliant track. It's it's never been a boring race, unfortunately, in my opinion, up till this week. Like, yes, the Ferraris... Retiring was nice and dramatic and sad for any of us who don't want another runaway dominant season, which Mm. is what Max is starting to get. But uh, yeah, uh, no, nothing really screamed super exciting to me about this weekend, unfortunately. I mean, I agree with you, Sean, that like, you know, it normally is a a classic race. And I think that's kind of what kept me watching was the, you know, something's going to happen, something always happens. But um, I think it was the same, yeah. After the Ferraris retired, yeah, I mean, at one point there was just 20 seconds between all of the leading cars, but uh, at least there were still battles going on further back. But yeah, it was, um, I feel we got a bit robbed of a race by the Ferraris retiring, basically. Um, you know, yeah, the drama that it agree. created didn't make up for the drama we missed out on of having all four cars battling. Yeah, let's talk about Ferrari then. Uh, obviously, Chloe's alluded to the fact that, that Charles Leclerc probably got the worst luck uh, that he's had yeah. uh, you know a couple of couple of weekends running not necessarily anything that he uh, was responsible for really um richard what what do you what do you think it, has this is this luck going to turn around are they going to be able to give him a decent engine so that he can actually you know try and compete with max verstappen for the rest of the season yeah i mean it's uh, it's certainly cruel isn't it no. um i leclerc is clearly a a fantastic talent, you know, all the way up through his junior career, he was romping away. Yes. He made some mistakes in formula one, sometimes where maybe he was a bit too aggressive, pushing the boundaries a bit too much. Mm. But, you know, earlier this season, I felt like maybe this is a year it comes together for him. He's mature. He knows what he's doing. Ferrari produced a great car. And then suddenly out of nowhere, they've started having these failures. You know, they actually look like the team that was going to have reliability versus Red Bull having failures. And then suddenly we're seeing that switch around and it's, Mm. um, it's pretty sad to watch in a way because uh, like Sean, I, I'm not actually, you know, massively partisan in this and who wins, but I do want to see a fight for it. And um, it looks like a long way back at the moment, but then equally we've seen the Red Bulls having reliability issues and it swung very quickly one way. It can swing very quickly back the other in, in such a long season. But um, yeah, I was sad to see Leclerc retire from this race, particularly after 
such a massive qualifying performance. Mm. Yeah, I predicted he did well. He, he was going to do well this weekend. I was I was correct up until uh, probably halfway through the race, unfortunately. Um, Sean, the tables have turned on Ferrari and then they're, they're having the reliability issues. Uh, what can we say about them? What can you add to, to Richard's comments? Um, I mean, it's a bit heartbroken. <laughs> mm. I, you know, I, I, I backed Charles Leclerc to, to, to win it this season. I thought, you know, Red Bull were going to be the ones. I thought Honda maybe had pushed just too hard to get this new engine that's going to last them for four or five years. Uh-huh. Um, and certainly in the early part of the season, that's exactly what it seemed to be, is that they, you know, gone too hard, too fast, and the engines were just cracking left, right, and center. Now it seems that the, the, the weird thing to me is, though, Ferrari haven't done anything. That like mm. by all accounts they haven't they haven't revolutionized the wheel with this engine they haven't upgraded it at all this season yet they haven't brought any new major changes to that engine to suggest oh okay well it's a new iteration it's going to be a bit fragile for a while nothing's changed um, and all of a sudden and it's not just the it's not just the, the you know the Ferrari boys in the red cars you know pushing a bit too hard out front to beat the Red Bulls but like the Hasses are blowing up. Um, Kevin Magnussen had the exact same problem, it mm. seems. I don't think they've confirmed exactly what what the problem was, but it was the exact same puff of smoke. It, <laughs> it was a little bit less dramatic because he wasn't caning it down the back straight. Mm. Um, but it seemed like the exact same problem. That's that's not good. And then obviously you had the Alpha retiring as well for mechanical issues. Maybe they just <laughs> spotted the problem before it went boom and thought, let's let's save ourselves some some blue faces here and pull them in. But uh do you think no, it was the? It's, it's, do you think it was the heat that was doing it? Because it was a very hot weekend in Baku, wasn't it? For their sake, I sincerely hope not. But also, we hadn't seen that in what would have been much hotter weekends in the Middle East, in True. Saudi Arabia, hmm. and and even Australia was extremely hot as well, wasn't it? So, I don't think it. It might be like the culmination of the heat. If this is the same engine that they started the season with. Mm. Um, then maybe having been overheated too much since the start of the season might be that this first engine has just gone pop and maybe they just need to commit to taking some engine penalties throughout the year to take a fourth or even a fifth engine before they go boom next time. Yeah. You know, better to preempt a boom, take a penalty, start 10 places back and make it back up and you know, have some damage limitation points than be leading the race and it go pop because you've pushed it for too long, uh, which is exactly what Max did last season, isn't it? They preempted a, a change, changed his engine early and... You know, he got that benefit in Russia with the penalty and he finished second anyway. Hmm. Um, so I think Ferrari needs... They've kind of slipped back into, you know, Ferrari strategy mode, I think. Uh, and now they're having Ferrari unreliability mode. I think they really need to get back to, you know, planning out a little bit more ahead. Um, and, you know, it's still there for them. It's not a huge gap. It's what, 36, 34 points, 44 hmm. points. 34 points. Um, the Charles behind now, it's not massive. I mean, Lewis Hamilton has come back from a hell of a lot more than that. Uh, and equally, Ferrari have lost it from much further ahead than that. So plenty of time. If it is the heat and long straights, though, Canada is not going to be a fun weekend for them either, is it? No. And Carlos Sainz, what can you say about Carlos Sainz this weekend? The only thing I could say to potentially, you know, if he's listening, Carlos, you have a history of having terrible luck in the first half of the season and then being the driver of the year in the second half of the season. So, you know, touch wood that this is just, you know, another Carlos Sainz-ism and he's going to, <laughs> to, to come back on form. He'll, he'll, he'll win in Spa, he'll win in Italy, he'll be the hero of Monza. Um, and the second half of the season, he'll 
you know, wipe Charles wipe Charles away, but he has the worst luck in Formula One, doesn't he? And so far this season, he has. Yeah, and Rich, Richard, what can you say about Carlos Sainz? Yeah, I think with um, well, obviously his retirement from the race doesn't look like it was fully his fault. I mean, again, I'm not sure they've completely confirmed what that failure was, but as soon as I saw it, I thought that's got something to do with a gearbox because it sounded like he had a really rough downshift and yeah. then he parked in second gear, which is unusual. So uh, it sounds to me like something in that, but I think it's the same as with people like Dan Ricardo, unfortunately, although you know maybe had a better weekend this time. Um, mm. Although you know perhaps. Perhaps Norris would have got him in a trade fight at the end. Who knows? But I think it's the same thing. If you've just got to, you know, not let it get into your head when you're having a, a run of, of struggle, particularly relative to to your teammate, because um, you know I think fans who haven't done much driving tend to think one driver is just objectively better than the other, um, and it's really not the case. You know, it's mm. so is how does the car fit your driving style, and as you update the car, how does it adapt to your driving style and um, yes, obviously professional drivers should be able to change when the car changes, they should be able to react to that. But if a car suits the way you want to drive anyway, that's always going to be the best car for you. You're always going to be quicker in the one that is your default way of driving. Mm. And, um, so while you can adapt over time, it's always going to be a little bit of a compromise, but, um, it's always a bit of a thing of both you know, Carlos and Daniel having to adapt their driving a bit to the car and the team having to find a way of setting that car up to come towards their driving style. And and the, the key is for them to just stay patient and keep the belief while that process is happening. Um, and if they're able to do that, then the performance will come back. What they don't want to do is get frustrated, start chasing time that isn't there, start overdriving, start going down blind setup routes. Mm. You just have to try and keep your head in that situation and, and believe that you will figure out the answer and the performance will come back. Chloe, uh, are you a Ferrari fan? Were you thinking this year it was going to be Ferrari's time? I definitely, at the beginning of the season, thought, yeah, this is going to be their year. But as you said, you know, it feels like the tables have turned on them. Mm. It's a shame, it's a shame. But let's not talk about the doom and gloom of Ferrari for too long because we've got to hand it to Red Bull. They're doing an absolutely fantastic job uh, and, you know, you know, just running away with it, really. Both drivers uh, performing brilliantly. Um, it could really be any one of them winning, uh, you know, it looks like at the moment, if uh, Red Bull would allow them to oh, race. If they're allowed. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll put that caveat in there. Um, but Richard, Red Bull, they're having a brilliant resurgence uh, after a couple of dull races or, or poor races at the start of the year. Yeah, I mean, you, as you say, you've got to credit them. They clearly have built a really quick car. Yeah. Um, and I think it was relatively obvious even early on. I mean, yeah, okay, there were some sessions where Ferrari was clearly quicker, but I think that Red Bull car obviously had potential. It just didn't quite have the reliability together. And, you know, who I'm really pleased for is Checo. Um, I think he's long been an underrated driver. He went to McLaren at arguably the wrong time in his career, had a car that was the start of a period when they were struggling. So people had higher expectations than he was able to deliver. He then mm. obviously did his time in the midfield and he was sensational a lot of the time, but it went a little bit under the radar because it was for fifth position, sixth position. Um, obviously picked up some great podiums with Force India. That win with Racing Point, was incredible back of the grid to victory. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's he's a driver with masses of ability. And I think 
like everyone, he's come into Red Bull and initially struggled against Max and struggled to adapt to the way Max has that car developed, the way he has it set up. Um, and I think it's kind of going back to what I said a little bit earlier, that now in his second season, they've managed to find a way of whether Checo's influenced the, the development direction or whether it's just the setup, that car is now working for Checo or Checo is now adapted to work for that car. And, and he's really got the pace to be in the fight. I mean, I was surprised how far he was behind Max the weekend, but I think part of that was um, that he didn't pit under the first virtual safety car. You know, he pushed mm-hmm. hard the first couple of laps, probably worked his tires too hard to get the gap. Uh, once you've cooked the surface of the tire, it's not coming back to you. <laughs> um, and so I was a little bit surprised that, you know, he must have been sat in that car begging for a virtual yeah. safety car or a safety car to get in as soon as possible. Yeah. And when it came, he wasn't one of the ones who pitted. So I think that's part of why the the gap was where it was, because he, you know, took that restart with tires that were probably past their best. And that's where Max obviously closed right in. But um, but yeah, I think it's great to see Checo delivering this kind of pace now. And, and at least that makes it, you know, another exciting little story in the season, because he's not that far behind Max. No, not at all. And he had a great overtake off the line uh, against Charles Leclerc, um, yeah. <laughs> which was just, just a great first corner for, for Perez. Yeah. Chloe, anything to add about the uh, the Red Bull duo? Um, I agree with Richard in saying that I do think Checo is an underrated driver sometimes. Mm. I think he's got like massive talent and I don't think people talk about it enough. Oh, he absolutely is. He's the Mexican mm. uh, Minister of Defence, they call him. You know, uh, <laughs> some of the some of the racing last year uh, against trying to keep uh, Hamilton behind was just phenomenal. Mm. Um, but last year he was very much playing uh, this, the, you know, the second man for the team and kind of the support role to Max Verstappen. And this year, I think he really does want to uh, to compete for that championship. And from what I'm what I'm gathering is after Spain, uh, Checo's gone back to them and said, look. It's not going to look good for you. Uh, you know, Max be, being the supporting role for Max all the time. It, it, people are going to question it. Let's have a, a bit of a battle and maybe I'll play the second support role a bit later down in the, in the season. Because I, I think, realistically, I think Red Bull are probably going to let them race a little bit uh, early on. Sean, what, you're kind of are you shaking your head. You're grimacing at what I'm saying there. Checo will win races when Max can't. That's it. Checo will not be... Al- the only reason Checo won in Monaco is because it was Monaco and they literally, literally could not pull him out of the way to let Max back pass. And Max was a couple of places behind. But if it was any other track other than Monaco, they'd have had Checo essentially park the bus, let Max catch up, pass the cars behind, and then pass Checo as well. I'm sorry, that sounds a bit cynical, but that's just the way Red Bull are. Do you remember Multi-21? Did Seb get any backlash for that whatsoever? <laughs> no, of course he didn't, because he's the number one driver. Um, I think talked about. I, I, I know Joss will be like, no, I want favoritism. I want my son to get this, that, and the other. But I think from a personal level, don't you think Max would want to, you know, have that kind of bit of competition and battle? Because at the moment, Ferrari aren't doing aren't doing it for him. So he's got to have someone to compete, compete against, against, even if it's his own teammate. Uh, Richard, no. i mean it's very satisfying as a driver when you absolutely outrace someone obviously and you know those are the races that you remember um but i don't think max needs to beat people for his own ego you know i think he very much believes that he's the best driver on the grid i don't think he needs to prove that to himself Mm. uh i think he just wants to win races and win championships now you know he just wants to rack up those numbers um i hope that 
Checo's given some opportunities because he has done so much for the team. You know, he, like, at the end of last year, the way he drove those final races, it was everything for the team. There was no question of himself at all. And mm. uh, even in Spain, I think, you know, it was tough when he, we came on the radio and he said, I don't agree, this isn't fair, but I'll do it. Um, and he's a massive team player. And I, I just hope that that comes back to him at some stage because he does deserve it. But you do wonder whether... You know, maybe that will be this season. Now the gap's a little bit bigger between Red Bull and Ferrari. But mm. you, yeah, you do wonder whether it's going to be yet. But I hope at some stage those opportunities come back to Checo and he is allowed to go and get the, you know, the number of wins that he deserves. Absolutely. I, I think I've, I've always said that Checo is a world-class midfield driver. Um, I think I think that's really the that that sounds like a bit of a backhanded compliment, but I actually mean it as sincerely as I possibly can. He is in a front running car now. If Max Verstappen wasn't there, would Checo win the championship? No, I actually don't think so. I think someone else would beat him to it. I think the Ferrari's reliability or not would beat him to it. I think the only Red Bull that's going to win the championship, reliability or not, is Max Verstappen. Sergio, he's a good driver. He's a very very good driver. I think I mean, you were right, Richard. Like it was a bit weird that he was so far behind. Max on what seemed to be tire life. <laughs> it's very rare for Checo to be losing out on, you know, pres- pre- preserving tires. Um, I think he's definitely good enough to win races. We, obviously, we saw that in uh, in the racing point coming from the back of the grid. He has that talent to win races. Is he going to win absolutely every race back to back and win the championship? No, probably not. Will he be allowed to win races? Yes, in the instances where they physically cannot get Max. But if if Checo is winning in Mexico by one second, they're not going to tell him to get out of the way. They just won't. There's not a hope in hell. Nobody will buy Red Bull merchandise ever again if they did that. Other, other than that, other than that, he is the Rubens Barrichello in that team, unfortunately. He'll win races when Michael Schumacher can't, and that's kind of it. If, but, if, but he's if, very good at that. He's much better than Albon and Gasly were at being there to be in that position to win races for the team when the number one driver can't. He is by far the best driver they've had for that since Danny Ricciardo left. If Sergio Perez somehow wins this championship, I want you to eat a sombrero right here on the podcast. Can <laughs> <laughs> it be like a nacho hat sombrero? Well, yeah, maybe. We'll, we'll do it. You've got to do it, though. Um, okay, yeah, I, hope, I hope you've saved that clip there, Scott. We, we'll come back to that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's move on to a different team, though, because we could talk about Red Bull and Ferrari uh, all day. Um, I want to talk about the... Mercedes, who came in third and fourth, who had great weekend, really, apart from if you are Lewis Hamilton's back. Uh, Richard, that porpoising that the Merc is going through looks horrid. <laughs> it does. And, I, you know, I wonder whether some of the reliability issues that we're seeing, I don't know. But, you know, is it related to this <laughs> smacking up and down on the ground? You know, that can't be doing any good for anything, car or no. the drivers. And, mm. yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest, it's... You know, obviously, it's not just Mercedes. Um, they had it particularly hard this race. Um, it looked like they maybe got over it in Barcelona, but it was certainly back this race. And yeah, I mean, you don't really need a, a racing driver to tell you that's not a good situation to be in, to, to be constantly coming on and off the track. And, you know, mm. you can't, you know, vision is crucial to racing driving, being able to pick out your braking points, your apexes, and being able to do that really efficiently with your eyes. So you're able to look, really far ahead rather than at what you're currently doing. That's all really hard when you're smashing around, not to mention the back pain that Lewis is talking about. So, uh, yeah, it was, I think everyone cringed seeing, uh, <laughs> seeing him getting out the car and struggling. 
Yeah, but uh, then we have Christian Horner at the after the race saying, you know, he would be playing it up to try and get regulations changed. Uh, do you agree with that, Sean? I know you're a, you're as cynical as the next person. Uh, do, you, I, do you think what Christian Horner's saying is, is, is there's, there's any kind of truth to that? Uh, I think I think that comment, no, I think that's very much a Hornerism. I think one thing I do agree with him on this weekend is that. You know, Mercedes wanting the entire rule book changed because one of their drivers is really suffering is total BS. And the rest of the teams, and Martin Brundle said this as well, there's no way in hell the rest of the teams would agree to that because one of the 20 cars mm. is damaged. And it's something they can fix. They just won't. This is just such a classic case of engineers versus drivers. The engineers have said, this is the fastest way to go. Lewis Hamilton has said, I'll be in the hospital tomorrow. Mm. You know, I, to, to my eye, it, it, it just sounds like, you know, raise the right height a little bit. Sacrifice three tenths of performance. You've got the two best drivers, you've got two of the best drivers in history. They'll make up half a second just with their talent alone if their heads aren't <laughs> bouncing around like boppos. <laughs> it, it, uh, I, I would love to have been a fly in the wall in that debriefing on Sunday because there's no way in hell Lewis Hamilton was as polite as he was on the radio. I bet he raked them out of it for that. And I, complete, <laughs> I, I have no problem with him. I would 100% agree with him for that. He did not look well after that. And that is just not acceptable for any, in any sport to allow your athlete to come out of the, the event in pain, you know, that it's just not acceptable. He will be having lots of massages and lots of relaxation this week, uh, I'm sure. Um, Chloe, uh, George Russell had a fantastic yeah. weekend, you know, third for the third time this year, actually. So three for three. Mm -hmm. uh, what can you say about his race? Um, I will say that I feel like it's quite quiet in terms of commentary. Like you don't hear about George Russell. Mm. And then it's like you get to the end and you're like, there he's there. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't even realise, but I do think he's very talented. And I think that's him being in the top five for all of the races this season. Every so. race this season, yeah. So yeah. even still, he's the most consistent. So he has changed from Mr. Saturday to Mr. Consistent. <laughs> um, and he's beaten his teammate, which is the most important thing to him. Uh, and for all the fans watching, they're like, ha ha, see, it's not the car. It's blah, blah, blah. blah, yeah. blah. <laughs> Yeah, I've got to say, I'm not at all surprised by George Russell's performances. I mean, not just from what he's done in Formula One, but I remember when I was a kid, not as young as George, because I'm a few years older than him, but uh, I saw him at kart tracks when he was, you know, really just starting out. And, and I've known some people who, you know, he still does some karting between seasons. And, and I know some of the people who've, who've run him in that and, and all these sorts of things. And everyone who's ever worked with him from the start has said, the guy's special you know he's a really good driver but he's also so professional in his approach so focused so focused on his preparation and getting the best out of himself mm. you know always pushing himself harder so yeah i'm not at all surprised to see him have this this success and i do think you know he could be the long-term future for mercedes you know in years to come uh he clearly has the ability i've got i've got a wild one for you do you think he might do a mick schumacher this year in terms of how Mick won his Formula 2 championship, he was almost never on the top step. But his Mr. Consistency approach had him win that pretty comfortably, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the point structure in F1 rewards the wins quite a lot. So it's it's tricky to to do a, you know, if you're not winning, get back in the fight. But yeah, he's, he's, only mean, 51, he's only 51 points off Max yeah, Verstappen having not won a race saw, yet. I wonder whether it's more like this... 
the season where, you know, we had that fantastic fight between Braun and Red Bull towards the end of the, the season where Braun had mm. dominated the first bit and then, hey-ho, Red Bull's got it together and here they come charging. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with Mercedes, I think fundamentally it looks like the car's good. They've just got to sort that porpoising. And and once they've done that, maybe maybe you will start winning lots of races uh, and, and come back. I mean, I think probably that's not that likely this year. But I mean, I'd love to see it in terms of uh, making it a proper, proper uh, fight between three teams. Because I think F1 classic seasons have always had three teams in the mix. That's when it makes for a really exciting year. Mm. Yeah, mm. I wonder if we could do a points adjusted uh, old point system to see how close uh, it would actually be, given the you know the old points of ten and whatever they were I can't, I can't remember it now off the top of my head it's been oh, such a while but that that would have favoured that sort of uh, championship win wouldn't it um, because obviously that's why they adjusted it in the in the long run um, we'll, we'll get Sophia on that because she's 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 good at that sort of thing she, so, loves, she loves the stats so she does love the stats <laughs> so Sophia points adjust the, uh, the, the season and let's see how close George would be to the top but that would be a great idea please um Let's talk about the Alpine then, because you, uh, Richard, you've mentioned Alpine. Uh, so, what, what was what was their weekend like? Oh well, I mean they uh, they had the Progress Pride flag on, so that's why they were quick. I mean that's uh, <laughs> that's science. Um, I mean last year after Aston Martin announced their partnership with Racing Pride, they went to Baku, so got on the podium, you know. And and this time uh, Alpine announced their partnership with Racing Pride, and suddenly they're super quick on the straights. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what's happened there. No, I mean I think Alpine. Uh, <laughs> You know, they're quietly having a solid season, aren't they? Um, I, I think, you know, they seem to have a reasonably good grip on the on these rules. Um, mm. They're, as I say, kind of quietly getting on with their business. And this was a fairly decent weekend for them with, uh, you know, a decent number of points. And I, I think that's kind of where they are at the moment. But yeah, that straight line speed that they got for this weekend was something to behold. I think Alonso was doing something like 216 miles an hour in the race, which mm. is impressive <laughs> uh sean anything to add about the lp oh I, I remember like watching fernando alonso make that overtake and his car bouncing off 350 kilometers an hour it was like he's not going to make that braking zone <laughs> yeah. i was amazed he braked at exactly the same point his his foot must have been coming through the nose of the car breaking that hard <laughs> um that that was a great but like even just like you could just see it, even in the corners. Just if you just looked at the cars standing still, they looked quick. They looked like they had Monza wings on. It was incredible that they committed to that, and we're mm. still, you know, decently quick through the rest of the lap. Azerbaijan is a weird circuit in that if you, you know, commit to a, a, a you know, a low downforce, I suppose it's probably a little bit easier with these new cars because the rear wings don't provide as much, anywhere near as much downforce as they used to. So trimming it off probably isn't anywhere near as much of a penalty as it would have been last year. I don't think we would have seen people running wings that that narrow in Baku before, but, uh, you know, they 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 took a gamble and it, and it paid off. They had a double points finish, like you said. It was it was a good it was a good race for them, uh, both of them, both drivers in the points. So, and Fernando beat both McLarens, who I suppose is probably their main rival this year as it's turning out. And uh, I, th- I think Richard's right. They're kind of, quietly going about their business this year. I think they've already written off this year in terms of, right, we probably won't be top three because Mercedes, even if they, you know, bounced all the way to the finish line, they'll still finish third, uh, (laughs) which they look like they will. Um, But I think Alpine are kind of going through their processes this year with some sort of a plan for next year because I don't think Fernando Alonso would be as calm 
and collected and smiling all the time as he was finishing seventh every week if he didn't know something else was on the horizon. So mm. I think whether it's this season, I don't think they're going to do a Red Bull and Braun and just all of a sudden, you know, come out with a new car in, in July and Fernando will lose the championship by three points again. I hope not because I couldn't bear that kind of pain again. <laughs> I do I do think they've got something on the horizon. They are bringing up Reds to that car which always seems to be working. So they're developing slowly but they're developing very, very intelligently at the moment and I would quite like to see them do well. I don't want to see them beat McLaren but you know, I'd, I'd, love, a, I'd love a Lando Norris versus Fernando Alonso fight for the championship next year if we could have that. But uh, no, good weekend for, for Alpine. It's, it's good to see those kind of top speeds in Formula 1. We don't get that very often. And let's talk about the last team that we'll talk about uh, fully, uh, McLaren, because they are uh, not so secret uh, McLaren fans here on the pod. There you go. Check that off your uh, your every yeah. one bingo card. Uh, we've said it. Um, but they had an okay weekend. Uh, and do we think that Lando Norris should have been able to battle or allowed to battle Daniel Ricciardo uh, on that part, that that final portion of the race towards the end, uh, Richard? What do you think? I mean, as a driver, you've got to try, haven't you, to get on the radio and be like, please, can I overtake, please? <laughs> I've, I've seen people criticising Lando for radioing quite so much about it, but yeah, I think every driver's going to do it realistically, aren't they? And I mean, the other thing is they choose what bits of radio to play us. I know that really you're radioing the team all the time and I'm sure there are other drivers who nag at least that much about everything but they just don't play it all out on the radio it's just because it was like an interesting thing in the race of, of Woody wouldn't he um, I mean he had a reasonable point of he you know the holding station earlier in the race was all about the race strategy and making the strategy work for both cars whereas at the end of the race it was just about which way round their cars would finish rather mm. than whether they'd score more points as a team. But equally, I can see it from the team's point of view of there is no added benefit to the team of you fighting with Daniel and all you're doing is risking crashing into the wall at a circuit where that happens. Yeah. And in any case, you're fighting over minor points. It's not like a massive swing in your championship or your career. This isn't you know, to win a massively prestigious race. This is just scrapping over the small points. So I can see that both sides, but... I'm not at all surprised that he was on the radio about it. Um, <laughs> and I don't think that McLaren would want anything else. I mean, when they employ a driver, they want someone competitive. They want yeah. someone who always wants to be in front because if you don't go in with that single-minded focus of wanting to win all the time, you're just going to be nowhere near, particularly at this level of competition. So I think McLaren would have been disappointed in him if he wasn't giving the mere rake over it on the radio, but equally the end of the day, he's a professional. If McLaren say you're not allowed to overtake, then you can't overtake. You're driving for the team. And the cynic in me thinks that Daniel Ricciardo's had such a poor season. Maybe it was kind of a, to give Danny that kind of boost. You beat your teammate this time. Uh, Chloe, what do you think? Um, I mean, Daniel is my favourite driver, so I'm a bit biased. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> he's yeah, a nice I guy. Think... Everyone, everyone loves yeah. Daniel Ricciardo. I do I do agree, you know, like it wouldn't be racing if Lando wasn't getting on and saying, you know, I want to race, I want to get in front. Um, but I do think Daniel did need a wee bit of a, a boost in confidence. So And that this this could have been that boost. This could mm -hmm. be the straw that broke the camel's back. Is that the, is that the saying? The straw that breaks the camel's back camel's or, back, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And and, it, and it, it, you know, it gives him that kind of boost and thinks, you know what, I can actually drive this car. Uh, yeah. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm a previous Formula One race winner. 
there's no reason why I can't do it and beat my teammate, uh, you know, more often. So maybe, maybe, you know, like I say, the cynic in me thinks maybe that, that that's could be what McLaren are doing. But I don't know. You never know. Um, let's move on to uh, Yuki Tsunoda. I just want a quick mention. Uh, held together by gaffer tape uh, in the Alpha Towery. Uh, not gaffer tape, but, you know, mechanical tape, whatever they use. Uh, Richard, were you surprised to see that coming? The, the, the mechanics <laughs> rushing with the tape, uh, trying to get him in and out as quickly as possible? I mean, having come up through all sorts of amateur and club racing to the point I'm at now, you know, you're never surprised to see mechanics <laughs> out with gaffer tape. But you see it in... Uh, I mean, the number of GT cars you see with tape all over them, it's its a well-known saying of, uh, you know, does it move? Yes or no? Should it? And if, if the answer is it does and it shouldn't move, gaffer tape or cable tie is your solution. Um, so, it's a, I mean, it's a go-to. Yeah, I mean, realistically, maybe the FIA could have been firmer of saying, no, you've got to pull that car in and we don't believe it can be safely fixed. Um, without replacing the rear wing. Mm. Um, but unless the FIA says that, of course, the team's going to try taping it up and, and the team's probably going to say, well, look, it made the end of the race. It didn't fly off. Our judgment was right. You know, mm. this can be fixed with exactly six strips of gaffer tape or whatever many they used. <laughs> um, it, it was funny to watch, though. I've got to, you know, these, these scrambling together. This will do, this will do, this will It's fine. <laughs> you almost saw yeah. wrapping it around like it was uh, like a toilet roll. That you, you know, I've been know. sat in cars watching mechanics do this. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, you just want them to do it as quickly as possible. You're there thinking, no, 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 one strip of gaffer tape, that's fine, just send me out again. Um, <laughs> and yeah, let's go. He was confused about being held so long, wasn't he? He, he was like, oh, well, what's going on you know just believe believe us Suki we, we need to do this uh, but I thought that was quite fun uh, okay before we go on I just want you to all give us a uh, somebody who was who who was your VIP um, uh, you know or VP uh, from the weekend have a little quick think because uh, we don't need to talk about every single driver and every single team because uh, we'd be here all night uh, I'm going to go to okay I'll, I'll go to Sean because he looks like he's ready for the question who's your vp no I, I wasn't i don't really have a vp for this one i mean george russell deserves a shout out for sure but i'm actually going to give a shout out to to guan yu joe or joe guan yu however he you know changes it for this week um but joe i think is doing actually a really good job in f1 and i was very 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 harsh on alfa Romeo in preseason because I thought the combination of Valtteri Bottas, who has a history of being completely unable to overtake in the midfield, and Guan Yu Zhou, who had done not much to set the world of Formula 2 alight, I think Zhou's done a good, good, good job so far this season. I think he was doing a good job in this race, and he looked set to score a few points mm. until his, you know, the Ferrari in his back end went, uh, you know, the way of the three others that went boom. Um, mm. allegedly they haven't confirmed that it was the engine but it was wasn't it yeah. um, so shout out to Joe I think you know, hard luck for him he was having a good race he was, he was doing a good job this weekend he outqualified uh, Valtteri Bottas as well so shout out to Joe I hope he you know can bounce back a little bit in Canada and get some points there Richard anyone you want to speak about that maybe we haven't spoken about or just you want to reiterate how how happy you were about some specific driver this weekend yeah no I mean I I'd like to point out this isn't like a contractual obligation and it's not just because he's a racing pride partner driver and it's not just because he was featured on the cover of attitude magazine or is an inspiring sensational ally I mean he is all of those things but I still think we should chat about uh, Sebastian Vettel a little bit I know he had his mistake. He went mm. for a big ambitious move. 
it didn't work out. Fantastic spin turn, I've got to say. You know, to hook that up straight away. <laughs> oh, like yeah. the, man, the man's done a lot of years of F1. He's clearly done a lot of demos. I know Red Bull got him doing the ice demos a lot. Like, that was slick stuff to spin it around that quickly. Absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> he, 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 did he only lose two positions? Was it? Was yeah, he lost like six seconds or something. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, uh, I, I thought as well, like, maybe he could have finished fifth, but still finishing sixth, that was a really strong effort. Um, mm. And he qualified magnificently. You know, I, I thought all in, it, you know, one little ambitious mistake aside, my teachers at school used to call it an ambitious mistake. If, you know, yeah, you messed up a little bit, but you were trying something, mm. you know, that aside, I think he drove really well. So I, I think a, a shout out to him. <laughs> It was nice to see him spin on purpose for for once. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Seb, I agree. It was a great race, but I had, I had to put it in. He did spin. <laughs> Chloe, your last but not least, who, who's your who's who's your hidden uh, winner of the weekend? I would say I know we've already spoke about him, but George Russell definitely. Okay. Well, okay. Well, that, that's that's pretty much all we need to speak about this this weekend from uh, the race in Baku. Uh, it was a good race. I liked it. Uh, Sean didn't necessarily like it, but you know, these 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 things happen. Right. Okay. Well, let's move on. Uh, we've got a race with this weekend that we must briefly talk about. We're going off to Canada because it's a back to back, back to back in the calendar. Because uh, obviously, it's such an obvious back to back race to have uh, going from Baku to uh, Montreal. Such a you know perfect, perfectly next door neighbor countries um so the canada gp uh, is at the circuit gilles villeneuve the track length is 4.361 kilometers uh with a total race distance of 305.27 kilometers uh, and that's 70 laps current lap record is held by valtteri bottas who did it in 2019 and he did it in one minute 13.078 seconds uh, the last race was in 2019. It's been cancelled, obviously, due to the COVID pandemic. Boo! For the last few years. Uh, and the last race was won by Hamilton Vettel Leclerc. So, you know, all those people are still on the grid. It could potentially be the same, although I doubt it very, very much. Uh, let's just make some predictions then. Uh, we don't, I'm really looking forward to Canada because it has been off the calendar for quite a while. It's, you know, if, if you think of the classics uh, like 2011 with Jensen Button, you know, uh, it, it has race of all time. <laughs> it has delivered some absolute classic races. So I wanted just to get a prediction from each of you. Uh, we'll let Richard have a think. We'll go to Chloe first, ladies first. Uh, who do you think will be on the podium this year? Um, I definitely think Max will be. Um, maybe George top step? again. Yeah, I think so. Okay, top step Max. George, where's George going? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you got to just. I think he'll be stick down. your neck out. So, third again. So third yeah. again, and then you've got one more step. You know how Formula One works. There's another step there somewhere. <laughs> Who are you putting on second? Um, I think Checo. Yeah. Oh, that's, mm. that's going to be really bad news for Ferrari. Any Ferrari fans, I do apologise <laughs> about Chloe's predictions there, but you know it's very likely with the uh, reliability that they had this weekend. We'll go to Sean next. Are you going to be more uh, fair on Ferrari? Are you going to put more trust in Ferrari's capabilities? I hope so. Canada is my favourite circuit on the calendar. I'm so happy it's back. I was there in 2017. I'm hoping to go back next year. It is honestly, if you've never been to a race go to Montreal, the city goes absolutely bananas for Formula One. They shut down the whole city. Couldn't mm. recommend it enough. 
I am going to say Charles will bounce back and win this one. He's the only one in a decent car this year who's been on the podium before in the last race. It seems like a lifetime ago, but mm. he was there last time in the Ferrari. Um, do in, I the, think... in the dodgy Ferrari. In the dodgy Ferrari, yeah. <laughs> well, we the didn't know it Ferrari. was a dodgy Ferrari at the time, did we? No, we didn't. Uh, this one's not a dodgy Ferrari, though. No. It, is quick in, it is quick in its own right, so I do think he'll bounce back here. He's, he, he clearly loves a, a fast track, and Canada is a very fast track. It's trickier than it looks. Uh, I think he'll do well. I do think Max will be right behind him, and I am going to put Mr. Consistency in third place. Okay, so Max... Oh, no, Charles, Max, and then George. Okay. George, yes. Richard, it's up to you now. Who, who are you going to go, say your podium I think, is? I think I'm going to disappoint you with how boring I am. Uh, but, like, so I think, too, Charles is going to bounce back. I think they're going to put a fresh everything in that car because you might as well <laughs> at this stage. And I'm, look, I'm backing it to hold together for a weekend. <laughs> crazy with gaffer tape, yeah. yeah. <laughs> crazy as that might sound, some, some gaffer tape and some cable ties will get it through a weekend. Um, I mean, it's tricky because if it is a fundamental issue, back-to-back races, it's really hard to do much about it. But, you know, if they, if they do put in new components, then I think it'll make it through. And um, I do think that Ferrari's quick when it's going. And I think Leclerc's going to be a man with the points approved. So I'm, I'm going to put Leclerc top. Um, and then, as I say, I apologize for how boring this is. I do think uh, Russell is brilliant in every way, but um, I'm going to say it's going to be Max and then Chaco in second and third. I think Sainz will possibly get close, but I don't think he's quite there at the moment. So, yeah, I'm going to be boring and say Leclerc, Max, Chaco. It's not boring. It's probably quite likely. I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say Charles is going to get the first. Uh, I'm going to say Checo is going to be second. Uh, and I'm going to put someone in between Checo and uh, Max. <laughs> Max. <laughs> and I'm not going to say. So they've no George excuse to either. move over. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to say McLaren, uh, Lando Norris, because I'm a Lando Norris you know, supporter. Uh, so. It's kind of wishful thinking. It's it's. I want to try to manifest a third place for Lando Norris. Please put that McLaren on third. That would be great. Okay, well, we're all looking forward to Canada. As I say, it is a race that we all enjoy uh, and it deserves to be on the calendar and we're going to be really excited to sit down and watch it. Hopefully, well... Not for four hours or for four hours. It was, I mean, it was great funny. I, I, I watched every minute of that four hour race and I'd do it again. Absolutely. I, and I've done it again since. I've watched the whole thing back again. I yeah. had an exam the next day. It was really unhelpful. <laughs> <laughs> I remember screaming at the telly. Were any of your questions about the Montreal City? Because I do remember them doing a lot of filler just about Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's move on because we have got a guest here and we have probably gone on a bit too long for the race review, but we, we, these things happen. Um, but our guest is a very important person who we're going to talk to. Uh, he's a racing driver in his own right and he's also the co-founder of Racing Pride. He did mention this earlier, but I'm mentioning it again. Uh, well, thank you very much for coming to speak to us, Richard. Um, so where did racing start for you? Uh, well, I was one of those people who watched Formula One on the TV as a little kid. Um, mm. I am just old enough that when I was a tiny toddler, Michael Schumacher was in his multicolored Benetton and I loved his car because it was so brightly colored <laughs> and um, I would always point at it. And so that's my defense for the fact people say I'm a glory supporter that I supported him through the Ferrari years. I say, no, no, I was a toddler. And I had no <laughs> idea 
that he was winning the world championship with Benetton and I stuck with him through all the rubbish years until it came good at Ferrari. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I always had this interest in, in the racing and then I started karting when I was 12 years old, a little bit late for a professional driver, but Ooh. still quite early. Um, and it was really, I'd just been waiting for the opportunity, but my friend had a birthday party that was karting. It was a one lap shootout for qualifying. I mean, you got some practice first. I'm not saying mm. like, you know, I'm, Godlike. I mean, I am saying that, but I'm not saying that. Um, but we had a bit of practice and uh, and then we got to do one lap shootout. And I figured out that the first corner was almost immediately after the start finish line. And you had to break before the start finish line for the first corner if you're doing another lap. But I thought, haha, I'm not doing another lap. So <laughs> I won the pole position shootout by absolutely not bothering to break at the end of the lap, <laughs> stacking it into the barrier afterwards. <laughs> and uh, I got the bug for, you know, winning and basically showed that I was willing to do whatever it took to, <laughs> to get that win. So, um, so That's it all, a bit it all of an mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't think like, oh, that looks like it's going to hurt. You just think, I'm going to get this. <laughs> <laughs> so how long were you in carts and, and did you have some good success when you were in the Yeah, cart? so I moved from there to getting my own cart and obviously my dad having bought me the cart would have killed me if I took that approach to, to karting that <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, I was in carts then for a few years. I moved up through Junior TKM, Senior TKM for those of our very nerdy listeners or ones who actually do karting. Um, and then I was into gearbox carts for a while, which was so fun so 250 gearbox carts they have five gears they do even on a short circuit up to 115 miles an hour they have wow. no proper body work and they're probably the most dangerous thing i've ever raced but they're also <laughs> incredible um, and i had a lot of fun and success in them um was regularly finishing in the top three of all the british championship rounds and all that kind of stuff and basically decided right i want to move on into car racing so I stepped into Formula Ford in 2017 mm. because I had a mate who I knew from karting whose dad had a Formula Ford team. And this was pretty much the only way I could afford to move up into car racing was, uh, you know, getting a bit of a deal there and, and going and doing it. So, yeah, 2017, moved to Formula Ford, Castle Coombe. Um, I had a really good season. I qualified on pole position, my first ever car race. Uh, nice. Got podium race two, one race three. Uh, and wow one half of my races that year. So that was a good springboard. Moved to the national championship, uh, came runner up in the British championship in Formula Ford. And um, that was really where the future success, you know, in the last few years has come from because that was super lucky. And I think you always need a little bit of luck in a racing career, but um, it was good timing that I'd seen a guy at the Autosport show, um, uh, Paul Nightingale, who had a race team called Spire Sports Cars in prototypes. And he had a works driver that he ran in prototypes. Um, the idea being my driver wins, I get to sell these cars to customers. Um, right. So, you know, supporting a driver that he was running. And I was running out of money in Formula Ford. And um, I had had this chat with him and I phoned him up. And he said, oh, well, actually, my works driver is, is stepping away. He's going to go run his own karting team. So I need a new works driver. And we did this test at Donington at the end of 2018. And um I got the drive, long story short. A wow. mm. <laughs> um, couple of great years with Spire, slightly interrupted by COVID, lots of success. Um, yeah, it was great. Raced Praga last year in the British Endurance Championship. Uh, a lot of you, the viewers might know Jimmy Broadbent, the sim racer. He was racing in that too. Mm. Um, I raced alongside a guy called Chippy Wesmail, who I knew from when I was racing with Spire. We used to race against each other. He then went to do British GT, became a race winner there. 
and then set up his own team in Praga. And he called me up and said, look, I know you're a decent driver. Uh, I need someone to help me start up this new team. Do you want to drive the car with me? So, so I did. Um, and we won some races together, uh, more races yeah. than any other driver pairing. And uh, nice. again, got a nice stack of podiums. And, and that's led to the opportunity this year with Revolution Race Cars um, driving in the European Sports Prototype Cup, which uh, is honestly amazing. <laughs> uh, so the cars are carbon fiber prototypes, 3.7 litres, V6 supercharged, chucking wow. out over 500 horsepower in something that weighs 800 kilos. They are a really serious bit of kit. Mm. Um, basically kind of LMP3 pace, um, but quicker in a straight line. Uh, and yeah, we we had our first competitive race meeting the year at Zandvoort, um, which uh, we did about 170 miles an hour on the main straight. And when you're doing that, it is quite bumpy there. <laughs> There's a lot going on. And it was the first time I'd done banking as well. So that was exciting. You know, the big banks turned mm. three hairpin in the last corner as well. Um, yeah, that was awesome. But uh, managed to win that race from pole position. So it's uh, it's going pretty decently. And uh, I've got my next race, home race, coming up at Silverstone this weekend. So, yeah, exciting times in my race career at the moment. <laughs> yeah, sounds it, sounds it. What, what, was the, mm. what, what was it like having that step up, was it like a massive difference or was it just like a big cart that you were in? I mean, it was different, definitely. Um, I think I found it pretty easy to adapt to the car. Um, I think karting, you know, your reaction speeds and your cart control, you know, really prepares you really very well. Um, I had to learn a lot about setup um, because it was the first time I'd driven with suspension. So I had to (laughs) learn about how to get the best out of that. And that was quite a different feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and learning to sort of use the movement of the suspension, the movement of the car and get used to that feeling as well. It's quite different from a car in that respect, but no, I was, I mean, I had the pace from the start and found that relatively easy, but the big thing for me was the, the step in everything that went around racing when you go into car racing, you know, obviously the money's more, you've got to get more sponsors in, mm-hmm. but also racing at Castle Coombe, they had big crowds, uh, you know, for every meeting, thousands of people and and just the intensity of the whole atmosphere was much bigger. And obviously the consequences of mistakes were much bigger and yeah. the reward felt bigger when you won as well. So it was just, everything became a lot more real when he started doing car racing. It's, it's a, you know, much more of a kind of sensory hit on all levels because of that, you know, I mean, the speed of the thing, obviously carts can feel quicker, but mm. just the, the, the enormity of the situation is bigger when you're car racing. So that was, that was something that I kind of realized. <laughs> and, and then obviously now closed cockpits and, and actual cars. Uh... Well, you say that I had closed cockpit last year. I'm now back to open cockpit. Oh, the revolution's okay. properly old school <laughs> in that respect. Uh, ah. Yeah. Properly loud and open top. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah, but no, the Praga was closed top, as you say. <laughs> Uh, what would you what, what would you rather drive in with uh, kind of the open wheel open top stuff or, or, or I mean they're like exciting the for their own reasons the Praga felt like a fighter jet kind of thing um but I like having an open top I like having my head out in the air um you get more of the feel of the speed that way but I also just feel a bit more connected to the racetrack when you don't have like a, a cockpit around you um so I I personally like having my head out but obviously I realize as I go up my career, I'm going to have to get back inside a cockpit really uh, to go up through LMPs and, uh, and GT cars. Um, yeah, I mean, they're both great, but as I say, I'm enjoying 
enjoying having my head out uh, this year. <laughs> right, I'm, I realise I'm hogging. I'm hogging you, Richard. Uh, let's let's go to one of our one of our other panelists. So, Chloe, have you got a question for Richard? Um, yeah, is there anything that you haven't done yet that you would like to do, or do you have any plans for what's next? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there are many things that I would like to do that I haven't yet, and some of them involve racing. No, um, so <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I would love to end up driving at, you know, the big races, Le Mans, Daytona, Bathurst. I mean, they're obviously all massive goals, but um, I'd love to get experience driving a GT car as well as prototypes. I love prototypes. I think they suit me really well. Um, you know, I get on with them, but yeah, I'd love the opportunity to drive a GT car as well, which almost sounds silly when you consider that, you know, Zandvoort were racing in with the GT3s and we were beating them comfortably, but there's something about racing, uh, you know, one of the prestigious brands is in GT. So that appeals to me, but I want to move up the LMP cars. I, I want to end up racing, you know, LMP2s, Le Mans hybrids, and yeah, uh, go in that direction. So there's plenty of ambition to carry on, but uh, yeah, also also having a lot of fun where I am, but um, like every driver, I think I'm always looking at the next step. Ah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sean? Uh, Chloe kind of stole my question there. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> on the cards for you. Um, no, I, I suppose like uh, Racing Pride, obviously it's it's grown really, really impressively. And obviously you've got a few F1 teams involved now as well. How, how are things looking, I suppose, for the, for the future of that? Are you in contact with any of the other F1 teams? Uh, maybe like the W Series, F2, any of the Le Mans drivers, IndyCar, any other series that you're, you're speaking to about partnerships or like any drivers? You might give us an exclusive of someone else that's on the horizon to, to come on board with you guys? Yeah, I mean, it's, the growth has been massive and particularly since we announced the Aston Martin F1 partnership last Pride Month. Um, that obviously kind of exploded racing pride out onto the international scene and onto the radar of, of major teams. Um, I mean, racing pride is something that essentially I started pulling together in that transition between formula Ford and becoming a works driver in prototypes, um, back in 2018. And I mean, that stage, it was literally just me thinking, nobody's talking about LGBTQ plus inclusion motorsport. I've always felt on my own. I haven't known others in the paddock and I've not really seen much visible support. You know, surely we can do something about that. Mm. And I thought, well, if what you need is a conversation started, why don't you start that conversation? So, uh, so I kind of put myself out there a little bit and we, and we pulled it together, but I mean, I'm telling you this story to say, you know, obviously we've got some good people on early, in early on, you know, people like Matt Bishop was in before we launched mm. it publicly. Um, we had a lot of support from autosport, motorsport.com, sky sports, so, you know, we had a decent impact launch in, in Pride Month 2019, but things, yeah, grew massively from the Aston Martin uh, uh, launch last Pride Month and all the exposure that that brought and drivers taking it on themselves as well to go beyond even sort of what was planned. You know, obviously we planned the rainbow uh, halos and, and the kind of publicity that we put out with the team, but you know, a lot of the actions Seb's taken um, and suddenly a lot of the actions that Lewis has taken, they've been off their own bat as well, saying like, we, we want to make something of this, you know, we want to do our bit. And, and that's been hugely inspiring to see. Um, and of course, this year working with um, the road car business with Aston Martin as well. I mean, that's been really exciting. Um, and uh, to look at the broader kind of framework of that and start working with Alpine and, and, you know, when we announce our partnerships, we do a lot of work behind the scenes first. Um, mm. You know, when you see mm. F1 teams talking about us, 
it really isn't just, I know people, I understand them being cynical about virtue signaling and that kind of thing, but the teams we work with, we do do a lot of workshops behind the scenes, a lot of policy work with them, a lot of making sure they're genuine about it and they're really looking after their LGBTQ plus employees. So yeah, we've done loads with Alpine um, to get to the point of announcing that. I hope we'll carry on doing exciting things for them. I think there's a lot more opportunities with Alpine as well and broader Alpine racing and the Alpine Academy and all those you know, areas that it's involved with. Uh, we did a little bit with Venturi Formula E this month as well, which I know is sort of outside F1, but um, having their Powered by Pride campaign and the Progress Pride flags on their livery in Jakarta. Mm. Incidentally, I think Jakarta and Baku, it's a, it's a statement for motorsport to, to mm. go there and, and have these uh, conversations. And, and I think really powerful when motorsport says, we're going around the world, but we're not abandoning our values. You know, we are who we are wherever we go. And I think that's really important, particularly when we look at the future of the sport. And Seb said, you know, an F1 driver who came out would be welcome. I think there's still work to be done to make sure that's true uh, in a global championship and to make sure that they would be protected and that they would have the environments around them that they need. But I think we are getting towards, you know, that kind of point where it's more realistic. I think as well, we need to create you know, that inclusion throughout the sport that people feel like they can be themselves the whole way through their career. You know, I, I wouldn't want to put pressure on like an F1 driver to come out and say, oh, it's down to you. You've got to make this difference. You've got to come yeah. out and be that role model. I think what we've got to do is make sure that everyone in the sport feels like they can be themselves. They come through their career as themselves. And then over time, we're going to have out F1 drivers, out Le Mans drivers, out IndyCar drivers. Um, yeah, we've recently started doing bits in, in America as well. I think that's really exciting. We're getting lots of inquiries of, you know, how we can do more over there, including working with some of the very top series over there. So, yeah, it's 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 big times for Racing Pride. I'm afraid I can't give you an exclusive on future partners. Uh, <laughs> it was worth the, the shaft. Those conversations <laughs> are happening, but they're going to be kept private. But there are a lot of conversations going on. And um it's just getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, something we're having to think about is how we structure and resource Racing Pride that started off as, you know, when we launched it, it was, right, we need some stickers to give out at this club meeting. Who's going to pay for them? And I go, oh, I can probably chip in 100 quid to print out these stickers to give out to other drivers. <laughs> we're now becoming a, an international movement. So, you know, there's there's a lot for us to do to to resource that and to, to um, you know, make it everything that it could be. But it's it's growing fast and it's really exciting to, you know, for me to see, I always suspected lots of people would get on board with it. I thought it was the right message. I thought the sport needed it, but of course it's fantastic to see more and more people coming on and wanting to have the conversation and see as well how they can do this properly and not just put a rainbow colored logo on during pride month, but you know, how can we actually do the work that goes with that? Um, and that's, what's really important for me. And, and that's why, you know, we choose the teams that we partner with and we do the things that we do with them because I think that's the the only meaningful way, you know, um, to, to actually make this something with a legacy rather than just a, a thing for Pride Month. I, you... I think that's really important as well. Sorry, Taylor, and just what you said there, I think maybe a lot of people that maybe heard of, of Racing Pride, myself included, but didn't quite know that you were doing that stuff in the back end rather than just, you know, trying to get the message out there, but actually working with these teams and companies on their actual, I suppose, HR and business um, to make sure that they're not just virtue signaling, but they are genuinely trying to create this environment of safety and welcoming to to, to everyone. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Um, I think more people like yourself should be doing work like that to ensure that the companies who are 
trying to cash in on a couple of likes on Instagram once a once a year are actually you know backing it up with with the work in the back back end. So fair play, that that's fantastic to hear that it's that side of it as well. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's obviously tricky, and it takes a lot of work, and I think it also requires teams to be honest, you know, and I think. Mm. Alpine statement that they put out and they, you know, they wrote this in where they said, look, we've had cultures that we want to change. Um, You know, we realized that the sport could have been better in the past. And our team also as part of that sport could have been better in the past. We could have done more. We're now going to, you know, and I think that's the kind of attitude that we need. You know, we also, we don't just need rainbow washing. We need the honesty to say, look, we can be better. Um, And and those are the types of partners we want to work with. Yeah. Did you ever feel marginalized in the sport yourself? Uh, is that, was that a kind of a motivation for, for, for kind of going with the racing pride idea? Yeah. I mean, I, I found it really tricky to come out and beat myself in the sport. Um, I, you know, when I was coming through karting and I think it's similar for a lot of people, you're in your teen years, you're trying to figure out who you are anyway. <laughs> you're also in a, in an environment. And again, moving into, you know, every step of your career, you go back to being quite junior and you, you, don't want to rock the boat. You realize it's really competitive. You realize how many people would like to be where you are. Um, so you don't want to say or do anything that might, you know, in any way compromise your chances or, or not live up to people's expectations of you and who you should be. And all the kind of role models I'd seen that were successful in the sport seem to play into this slightly womanizing kind of slightly macho kind of image of, of what a racing driver should be. Um, and I hadn't seen any LGBTQ plus ones. Um, so that was part of it in my mind. There's also just the, the casual language around the place, you know, the kind of culture of banter that just wasn't helpful um, to make me feel like people would accept me. And I think people don't appreciate enough um, the impact that can have on people. Cause if they, perhaps if they'd known that, you know, I wasn't straight, they wouldn't have said what they said, but mm. The, the fact they said what they said meant that I couldn't come out to them <laughs> or I felt like I couldn't come out to them. Um, and that's been a, a case with, you know, there've been plenty of people I know who I felt at the time I couldn't come out to. And now since racing pride, I'm able to have a drink with them, great conversation with them. They're really accepting of me, but yeah, changing that culture was really important. And there were, there were one or two instances where it went a bit further, you know, where um, one or two people knew um, that, you know, knew about it. And, and I had one time that, I was racing the British Championships and karting and I had people actually write on my cart, gay boy and worse things in oh, no. permanent marker. Um, so there were some things to be challenged. Um, we're obviously moving a long way uh, from that. And, you know, as a sport and a society, but you still see on the, on the comments, even, you know, Alpine's fantastic post about their partnership, which is really well-written, great imagery accompanied by sort of the perfect messaging. There were a lot of comments on that, 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 you know, show, you know, made visible as well as the support, a little bit of the of the opposition that's still there. So, um, you know, there's there's still some distance to be to be travelled to to make sure that everyone feels like they can be themselves in this sport. Yeah, I think we as Formula One, I think we've had like one gay driver. It was Leila Lombardi, wasn't it? Uh, and I wonder what she would make of all kind of the inclusion and the, the acceptance of everything nowadays. Yeah, I mean, we've had a few, um, I think it's four or five, Matt Bishop's better on this stuff than me, who've oh, okay. been uh, somewhere within LGBTQ+. Plus. Okay. But it's been a long time uh, since we had any. And the only openly gay male driver 
in the sport was uh, 1971 to 1973, uh, Mike Bootler. Um, and he was not exactly setting the world alight <laughs> um, and obviously had quite a short-lived career in the sport. Mm. Um, and he was only out to people in the paddock. He wasn't out like publicly. Right. Um, so it's been a very long time since since we had any sort of representation at the top levels of the sport. And, and even in other areas of the sport, um, Hurley Hayward, dominated Le Mans and Daytona won many times their hero of American racing only came out in 2018, long after retiring um, Mm. and talked about how tough it was for him to keep that part of his life secret for so long and to not experience the sport in the same way as other people. You know, you can imagine if you're living with someone, you have a long-term partner who's sharing your life with you and you go and win Le Mans, you want your partner with you on the on the podium celebrating Absolutely. in the garage sharing that time with you which would be really easy if you were straight but he always had his partner beyond the catch fencing far away so no one could tell um so yeah i mean it, it, we could do with more visible representation uh, and of course that's obviously something that that racing pride's trying to do just you know we don't have a Formula One driver is an ambassador for us. We obviously have a magnificent ally in Sebastian Vettel um, and in other drivers, you know, Lewis Hamilton, Mick Schumacher has done some stuff, you know, it's been fantastic. But, you know, Racing Pride's ambassadors, the purpose of it was not just drivers. We have some engineers too, some mechanics, some volunteer marshals, some media people, create some LGBTQ plus people who are at least doing stuff in the sport and you know, can be to some extent positive role models, you know, in their area of influence. And hopefully we'll just see the visible representation grow organically over time. But, you know, we've at least got to start now. I wasn't conscious of having any LGBTQ plus drivers alongside me coming up through the sport until I started racing pride. And now at least there are some visible LGBTQ plus people. So we're getting there, but it's a, you know, it's, it's going to take time. Of course. Uh, do, do you think um, the teams like Mercedes using pride colours in their logo, uh, do you think that makes a difference to the LGBTQ community? Do you think you want to see more of that or do you want to see them backing it up with other, you know, things? I mean, I don't know too much about what they're doing internally. Uh, I know they said that they, I know they have an EDI expert internally and I know that they are doing some things. I don't know very much about that. So it's hard for me to, to sort of comment on that. I'm glad to see more teams, you know, showing uh, that they care about this issue um, and um, at least doing sort of something to move in this direction. I think it's very easy to forget that, you know, prior to the foundation of, of racing pride, um, there weren't really any mentions of the LGBTQ plus community in Formula One at all. The first kind of reference was um, Sebastian Vettel, um, his rainbow stripes when he was driving for Ferrari in Turkey in um i believe it was 2020 during covid Mm. um there was obviously we race as one but the colors of that were the team colors all put together and it was all about covid rather than it being about lgbtq plus so so we're moving a a long way and and obviously teams like uh mercedes i know mclaren put a really small uh, rainbow sticker on the inside of the halo i know you know ferrari did the sera ferrari in in rainbow colors i'm glad that they're thinking about it and i just hope that they do follow that up with, you know, wanting to get involved, wanting to take further actions, wanting to see what they can do internally, externally, and uh, and sort of, yeah, work on it a, a bit more. Because obviously it's great to have a rainbow logo. That's nice, but we need to make sure that we're also doing the serious work to, to take it forward. Do you think the, the, the likes of 
<clears throat> people coming out in in other sports like uh, uh, Jake Daniels, the the Blackpool football player, coming out recently. Uh, he's a young guy. I thought that was like especially powerful how young he is coming out at such a young age. Um, uh, obviously, you had like Nigel Owens, the referee in rugby, who's been out for quite a long time. Do you think other sports having people come out uh, and be like, I suppose, like active in their sports as as openly part of the LGBTQ plus community will have that knock on effect into motorsports, which is obviously a little bit more of a, a global sport and goes to places that maybe aren't as, I suppose, modern as say the UK and Ireland are. Um, do you think though? though that will have a, a positive knock-on effect in even the short term? Yeah, I think uh, it helps to see sport generally pushing towards this. And and I think, you know, it, it obviously does help to empower people. You know, you could have role models in other sports from you as, as well. But I, I do think we also really need something motorsport specific because it is such a unusual sport in many ways. You know, it's so intensely tied into industry so intensely tied into sponsorship global travel there are a lot of factors to think about with motorsport that i I think you know as i say hopefully we're putting in place the groundwork to make it possible to have openly lgbtq plus people at the top of the sport but it, it there's a lot to be done and to be thought about when you're looking at you know, if I was looking at being a Formula One driver, which, you know, obviously, unfortunately, is not going to happen next year. Um, but if I was, I'd be thinking, look, if I travel with this championship around all these territories, am I going to be protected? And how am, am I going to be received in these different places? And what will the FIA do to protect me? How will the team help? All those sorts of things, which we still need to sort of, you know, seriously figure out over time, because obviously it's extremely brave to have a player come out in the Premier League. And I'm not downplaying that at all. And they have, you know, issues around fan engagement and, you know, making sure this isn't another Justin Fashionu and, um, and, you know, making sure there's a real uh, bit of support there. But, um, you know, playing football in England is obviously a different situation to traveling in a global championship with, uh, with Formula One. Um, and yeah, we just, I think need to also work on the motorsport specific aspects that, that need to accompany if we're going to have openly LGBTQ plus athletes. I think one series that's doing quite well uh, in that sense is W series. Obviously you've got uh, an abundance of, of lesbian drivers uh, behind the wheel, uh, partners, you know, competing against each other uh, <laughs> in the series. Uh, you've also got Caitlin Jenner, who's uh, a, an owner of the team or a manager of the team or however they word it, um, which is brilliant. You know, uh, have you have you been kind of involved in any of that with W Series? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we've got a couple of our ambassadors driving in W Series uh, with Abby Eaton and Sarah Moore, um, both good friends of mine. Both we've, great we've got ambassadors Sarah- for... We've got Sarah Moore coming on just before uh, Silverstone as well. So Fantastic. again, for, for Pride Month, she, we, we thought we'd get her in soon. Yeah, she's been um, this last week. She was with me visiting the Aston Martin production sites at Gaydon and Wellsbourne and giving lots of engagement with their staff and with their leadership teams. And, you know, mm. she's definitely an ambassador who gets stuck into the real work behind the scenes as well. And and right. I really, really value her, her contribution. Um, and she's been with us right from the start. Abby came on very slightly after we launched, but still was there in 2019. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're, we're massively happy to have them in the series. Obviously, you know, Jess uh, being uh, with Abby, you know, uh, is, is great. And obviously being one of the Aston Martin ambassadors between us, we just couldn't, you know, have 
so many people in W series who were ambassadors for us, you know, so, <laughs> um, but we're, you know, we're really happy to have, uh, to have a couple in there and, and, you know, we do keep a dialogue with W series, um, Catherine, who's obviously the owner of W series, uh, works with me via Motorsport UK on, on their EDI stuff. So, mm. you know, we have a great relationship from that. Uh, and I know there are series that's really receptive to, to doing more. And I was pleased to see, um, on trans day of visibility, the, the statement that, you know, trans drivers are eligible, will be eligible, will, you know, will be welcome. Uh, I think, you know, Caitlin Jenner was controversial for some people in the LGBTQ plus community. It's, it's representation of having a trans team owner, but also there are trans people who don't agree with, with Caitlin's views. And I think, you know, not all LGBTQ plus people have to feel the same, have to think the same, have to have the same ideas. But I think it was important um, and, and great for W Series to say, um, you know, we're going to have a trans team owner and we're going to welcome trans drivers, trans mechanics, trans engineers into, into the series. You know, that's our policy that mm -hmm. absolutely these people will be included. And I, I think that that was really important. And that was something that I spoke with the series about for Racing Pride. And, and so, you know, we're in contact and um, we're, you know, really happy, obviously, to have on the F1 bill, Sarah and Abby there as well, you know, and, and, and Sarah last year became the first openly LGBTQ plus person to stand on the podium at a Formula One weekend, which I'm certain she will talk to you about um, <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was an important achievement. <laughs> Absolutely. Sean, have you got any more questions for Richard before we go? Uh, what time do you race at this weekend? <laughs> well, this weekend actually is a bit of an interesting one. I got qualifying in two races. So I've got qualifying on Sunday at 10 o'clock and I got my first race at about two o'clock. Um, my second race at 5.30 and um, we're going to um, do something really interesting around it actually on Sunday at Silverstone and that's that we're going to have a pride party. Um, so we've got one of the uh, areas at the track, the UTC there, the Technical College, have really kindly given us their building, which has a balcony overlooking the track. Wow. They have made it rainbow they put rainbow stripes on their stairs and things like that and we're gonna deck it out with racing pride stuff and we're gonna throw an event for their students have started an internal diversity and inclusion group we're going to invite them and we've got some racing pride people coming and uh, we hope in future we can do more of these kind of events but as just a, a first attempt at it uh we're gonna as i say hopefully bring what I believe is pretty much the first pride party at a UK racetrack alongside my race there. So I'm super excited on and, and off track for, for that. <laughs> but you will be mega busy for the weekend. I will be. Yeah, I'm, I'm really <laughs> glad that I have a team of people helping me on this. And uh, <laughs> I have scheduled appearances in the hospitality because obviously I've got to focus on my racing as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we wish you luck with the weekend. Good luck Thank you. with the party and with the racing. Um, I think that's a good good place to end. Uh, we are obviously Everything F1. You can find us on all our social platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. We're also on the website, www.everythingf1.com. And of course, we would love it if you were to hit that subscribe button on your podcast streaming service so you get all of our podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. Um, where can our fans find you, Richard? Do you want to give a plug of your socials or anything else that you want yep. to plug while you're here? <laughs> so, uh, of course, always. So. Instagram at Richard Morris Racing um, and Twitter is at Richard M Racing. 
Um, and Racing Pride is at Racing Pride HQ for headquarters across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everything. <laughs> well, happy Pride Month to any of our listeners that might be uh, within the community of the LGBTQ+. Uh, and thank you very much for coming to speak to us this week, uh, Richard. Uh, and I say, because it's Pride Month, we have got Sarah Moore coming on in a couple of weeks' time that will hopefully give us another great kind of introduction to what she does uh, with Racing Pride too. Amazing. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you very much for listening. We will speak to you next week where we review the Canadian Grand Prix. Uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.